My name is Duke Bendix. I'm better known as Corey Bendix's dad. Uh, that uh, there was a time when, oh, you're Duke's son. Well, not anymore. Now you're you're Corey's dad. That's right. Uh, it's so good to be able to serve not only this family but with family, and uh, privileged to be able to do this this evening and be with you. We are in a series, as J.C. said, called "Come Alive." Uh, we are looking forward to and believing that God is going to meet us in a fresh season, as it were. This isn't just a, a series of incidental messages that you're going to hear week to week, but there is a faith that underlies it and that has given rise to it that we are in a moment. And, and circumstantially, clearly we are. Uh, we are. We are currently challenged as we, what I call, emerge from the cave of COVID. That we've all been hunkered down, we've all been in places of lockdown, and we've been uh, uh, existing and functioning and learning how to function under real adverse circumstances in many cases. And now as we see this begin to recede, it's certainly not over, and I'm not saying that we're out in the clear and it's free running from here, but I am saying that there is something about our emerging from where we've been that provides us an opportunity to be encountered by God in fresh and deepening ways. And this series is about that, Come Alive. As a church, we've resisted this tendency to withdraw and to hide ourselves or to just kind of pull the walls in around us through our Grace Loves ministry. Many of you have taken part in that in one way or another. It's the way this church has postured itself out beyond the four walls, not only of the building of the church itself, but out beyond the four walls of our own homes and extending ourselves and sowing into the lives of other people. Well, now... It is time for us to be freshly quickened for all that is ahead. And I really want to deposit that. We're looking into a broader new landscape, as it were. Doesn't mean the challenges aren't there. We're going to face a whole new batch of challenges and a whole new batch of opportunities. And what we want to be are people who anticipate those things it's not that we need the answers ahead of time. We don't even need to know what's coming ahead of time. But one thing we are wanting to do is freshly root and ground ourselves in the love of God and stand assured and stand with some measure of understanding and light for moving ahead. Now is a time to discover, to see and hear, to receive and respond in faith to what God is saying and doing. Come Alive is calling us upward and outward to impart faith into our lives as has been emphasized in the worship time today so that we can live victoriously, so that we can be people who not only overcome but we actually begin to usher in the reality and the dimension of the kingdom of heaven itself into our lives and touch the lives of those around us with that reality. With that hope, we're going to talk about these things more here in just a moment. So what is the breath of God? I passed over my opening remarks. Uh, Pastor AJ, the opening session of this Come Alive series, spent a good bit of time uh, showing us how to pronounce the Hebrew word for breathe or breath, ruach. And uh, he had us saying that, and we were 
spitting on one another and we were doing all kinds of good things to be able to articulate, but the truth of it is the breath of God spoken at the, at the before anything else was gave rise to the, spoke the word of God and the word of God accomplished. So what we are asking ourselves, what we're looking for is what does it mean to live by the breath of God in our lives? We all live by God's breath. We all have the spirit of God living within us. My hope tonight would be that you would be challenged to actually ask for more of that spirit. For you to, if you've never been, I, I just taught the second half of life in the spirit here on Saturday and was reminded again, if you've never asked to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've never asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I hope the testimony and the witness and the word that comes out of this message tonight will lead you to go home and ask for the good thing that God wants to give us. And he said, Jesus said in Luke, I believe it's the 11th chapter, if we ask, the Father will give us the Holy Spirit. And we need more and more of his life-giving presence. So what is the breath of God? What is this ruach that God has spoken? This breath, this wind that has come upon us as the people of God and given us life. I want to just start tonight by just briefly recapping what it is that the Holy Spirit has been sent to do in our lives. Very quickly, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, and a parallel passage in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, lay out what the Holy Spirit has been sent to do in our lives. Three realities the Spirit brings about. And let me read these verses real quick. You can read along with me. In Christ, you also, Ephesians 1, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of that inheritance to the praise of his glory. Second Corinthians echoes these same thoughts. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and he has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Three realities that the spirit brings in our lives. Number one, the spirit seals us. The Spirit of God seals us. It's interesting that Paul says this in Ephesians 1, the, where he says it in verses 13 and 14, because what he's done, if you look, if, if you read it in the Greek, extremely difficult to follow in the Greek, simply because from about verse 2 of the first chapter all the way to verse 14 is one sentence. Paul goes on a stream of consciousness, assessment, and laying out of the great good things. He says, we've been blessed in heavenly starts. We've been blessed in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. And then he proceeds to unload in rapid fire fashion the fact that we've been chosen. We've been foreknown. We've been predestined to be adopted as sons. We have, been ex we have received the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. We've been abundantly graced with mercy. And grace has been abounded to us. And this 
is what he says in one sentence. Over and over and over. And what does he conclude with? He concludes with verses 13 and 14. You also, when you heard all of this that I've just reported, that I've just laid out, the gospel of your salvation and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed has to do with made, to, to be evidenced as belonging to something or belonging to someone, to be a possession of something. Our lives, all that we have received through our faith in Christ, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. God has, as it were, sealed that. That's why Paul can write at the end of Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He's put his seal to that. And we are to be people who live our lives with a degree of confidence, with an assurance that even when things get the most tenuous, the most difficult, things are the most strained, as we were, as, as JC was testifying today, uh, here at the end of the worship time, that we nonetheless know that we are sealed, we belong to the living God. The Spirit marks us and secures us as the Lord's people. He reveals, Romans 8 tell us, tells us that he reveals to us that we've been adopted as children of God. God has extended his fatherhood to us by virtue of adoption, and he's brought us to himself, and the Holy Spirit seals that in us. How does he seal it? By witnessing with our hearts, and we are able to say, Abba, Daddy, Father. It's the Holy Spirit who opens that up to us who makes that reality real in our lives. The sealing of the Spirit roots us in our identity as God's children, and that can't be taken from us. But sealed also has another aspect to it, another aspect of its meaning. It means to authenticate. And we're not only sealed as belonging to God, but we're sealed as being authentic. We're sealed as being the real thing. And you think of it this way. In the olden days, they would get a scroll, and when the king was making a decree or monarchy was making a decree, uh, they would write it on something, they would roll it up, and it would be sealed with a wax seal, and oftentimes the imprimatur or the, the ring of the, of, the, of the sovereign would be pressed into the wax, and they would know this is an authoritative document. And when you read it, the seal, when it's broken and, and you, this thing is opened up, it testifies to what we know to be authentic. This is the real thing. This is coming from the true source. We know this today if you've ever had a document notarized. Oftentimes it'll be the, the notary will sign it and then they will put their seal with it, either a stamp or actually a press. And it will imprint the paper and it's sealed. The Spirit is God's agent for confirming and, and not only calling us and assuring that we are authentic, but making us authentic. It's the Spirit of God who's been sent into our lives as the agent of change. The agent who transforms. The agent who makes us more and more and more like Jesus Christ. So, in other words, in being sealed by the Holy Spirit, we, be, we are made to become like Jesus in action, motivation, manner, and desire, 
We become the real deal. And that is what the Spirit of God is sent into our lives to accomplish. A third thing Paul talks about is that the Spirit of God is a down payment. A down payment, a deposit, an earnest of something greater. We, we understand an earnest or a down payment when we go to buy a house, if you've ever done that. But you put down earnest money, it's called. You put down a down payment. And what that down payment is, is it's an indication and a commitment and that you are earnestly interested in closing on this house. And you put money down to, to, uh, to assure that that will happen, but it's also money put down in anticipation of something that will yet be completed. The money that's put down is generally only a very small percentage of what it will eventually be added to and purchased. I put it this way, the spirit of God as down payment makes us realize there is something more for all of us. The biggest day of our lives is yet to come. The biggest day of our lives is yet to come. The Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our heart to the hope of our calling. A few verses later in Ephesians 1, this is what Paul prays. Holy Spirit Open the eyes of their heart so they can see the hope of their calling. Open the eyes of their heart so they can know God's inheritance in the saints. And I'll comment on that briefly here in a moment. Open their eyes so they can see the exceedingly great power of God resident in them, working among them like that which raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit sees, is a down payment on these things. Bearing witness to these things, reminding us of these things, growing our faith for these things. How we live now, folks, has eternal significance. How we live now has eternal significance. The decisions and the way you live, I live now, has eternal implications. And I don't mean just judgment. I mean, you are now in the process of forming what you will be and growing into what you will be for all eternity. The decisions we make now have eternal significance. By the Spirit, we live now in the assurance of the realization of what is to come. He opens to us the significance of our worth to God. The Holy Spirit, this passage I just mentioned a, a moment ago, Paul prays, and for years I, I, tried to, I tried to get around this. It says, God show them God's inheritance in the saints. And I thought, now we're, we're sealed, and he gives us a guarantee for our inheritance. We are with Christ, and with Christ's death, we now stand to inherit the whole earth. We will be, we, our lives are now hidden in Christ Jesus, and when he is revealed, we too shall be seen for who we are. Colossians 3. In other words, there is an inheritance that we are anticipating that because we live in such an immediate-oriented culture, we don't even think in those terms. But believe me, much of the Bible is couched in those terms. What has characterized Christianity for 2,000 years has been that they are a people sustained by an eternal hope. 
This is something that has, that has given dignity and, 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 and strength and fortitude, not least of peoples in the earth and in history, to, our, to you African-American folks in the, under the bondage of slavery. It was the gospel that sustained because there was hope in it, and not just a hope of, well, when I die, I'll go to heaven. No, there was a hope that strengthened a hope that caused people to believe, a hope that said, no, how I live now has eternal implications. And we conduct ourselves accordingly, and we learn how to live with that. He opens the Spirit, sealing us as a down payment, opens to us the reality of God's great power toward us as well, as has been mentioned in the worship time. The Spirit, in 2 Corinthians, I won't dwell, but just it says the Spirit establishes us with Christ. He works to root and ground us in the love of God so as to establish our lives as people belonging to Christ. We are being established. This word established isn't past tense. It's ongoing current. We are being established, and as we are being established, we are to work with the process. We are to understand what the Holy Spirit has been sent into our lives to do. We're to receive it. We're to believe it. We're to access it, draw from it, and work with that Holy One who has taken up residence in us. God is placing a fresh emphasis on his real presence and the work of the Spirit in us. That's what this Come Alive series is about. He's putting a fresh emphasis. Folks, we can breathe fresh air here. We can draw in something that can nourish us, that can refuel us, but more than that, that can actually move us beyond where we've been into the something greater of what God wants to do and what he has for us as his people. He's breathing afresh on us and we are called to come alive. To this reality. We are called, as we were reminded last week, and I'm going to quickly build on it, to wake up, as, as, uh, as, was, as we were taught and, and it was ministered, that as uh, Pastor Miata draw, drew out for us. In fact, she said it so well. She said, uh, she said it that we, are, we can be alive, but not awake. Everyone has experienced that every night, if you get any sleep. You're alive, you're sucking air, but you're not awake. And what, he, what, what we want to understand is that it's time to wake up. It is time, because the Spirit is resident in us, we can and must wake up, awaken. In this season, we have opportunity to encounter and be encountered by the life of the Spirit who is in us. The world speaks of being woke, and here's why I'm calling this message the woke life. The world now, currently, you hear the term woke. And, and what woke describes are a, a kind of a, a movement, if you will, of people who come into new ideas, oftentimes new values and value systems are embraced, and they're held now as redefining what's been thought redefining and reorienting how people have addressed life. 
And, and, and honestly, often such things are deceptive and they're leading people into darkness. They're leading people away from God's truth. But for us, spirit-filled disciples of Jesus Christ, woke is something very different and as I'm using it and I'm defining it here as we speak. Woke is being awake and alive, quickened and empowered by the breath of God. I would call us to be woke believers. People who live from the perspective and the vantage point of a living, powerful spirit of God's own presence abiding and living in them and through them. Being woke in this way is not only for our sake, it's so that we can be what God intended us to be, the light of the world, the manifestation of Christ in the earth. I want to build on, on, on Miata's message from last week. Her passage was Ephesians 5.14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We have here a promise and a command. God's promise is his light will shine on us. The light of life, fueled by the ruach of God. Remember the ten virgins she talked about? If you haven't heard the message, go back that YouTube, and, and look, at that, look at that message. But she referenced the ten virgins. Five of them had extra oil. The oil speaks of the spirit, the breath of God. The, other, the others did not. Those who did not, their lamps went out. They were left in darkness. The others remained awake. They remained alive, and they had life, and they were awake. And when the king came, when the, when the bridegroom came, they were there to greet him and to go in. To the, to the wedding feast. This is the promise, but there's also command. God promises his light will shine, but we are commanded, wake up. Stir yourselves to action. Be awake and fully alive. Be woke. Position for purpose, empowered to act. I'm, I'm reminded of a Funny story, it was actually a message by a, a great saint of a previous generation, but one that we had the privilege of sitting under uh, by the name of Bob Mumford. And he told a story about growing up as a boy and going out and being with his grandfather on his farm. And he said one day he was out with his grandfather and his grandfather said, hey, hey Bob, jump in the pickup, we're going into town to get some chickens. Well, they went into town and here was, here was in the market there, and they had these poor chickens, you know, bound up. They had wiring, wires around their, their, their feet, or just above their feet, hanging on hooks, just, just hanging there. And grand, the, the grandpa went and bought a handful or five, six, seven chickens, threw them in the back of the truck, went back out to the farm. When they got out to the farm, he took the chickens and put them on the ground and he reached down with wire cutters and he snipped the wire on, that had bound each of their feet. Chickens just laid there. So dad, his grandfather's command to him or direction to him was, Bob, kick the chickens. <laughs> of course, as soon as he tapped those chickens, they realized their feet were free and they started running all over the place. I want to kick the chickens tonight. That's, I almost named this, this message, Kick the Chickens, but I and probably should have. But what I want us to understand is like those chickens, we've come out of the COVID season 
But we have the breath of God living in us. An eternal deposit. An eternal uh, seal. An eternal down payment. Someone who is living in us to establish. And it's time, not only that I kick chickens, which I can't, but that you let the word of God kick your chickens. That you just, we just shuffle on over there and do a little chicken kick. <laughs> I won't get too far into this, believe me. But, but you get the point. We have been released. We can wake up and confidently expect that the light will shine on us. And we can rise to that reality. And I just want to take my last few minutes, and I, and I don't have much, but I want to build on what Miata spoke about. I want to talk about, just briefly touch on the next three or four verses. Paul lays out how we rise up, how we kick some chickens in our own life and begin to function. He says it very simply, Ephesians 5, 15 to 18. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Spirit of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Very quickly, look carefully how you walk. Be intentional in your living. 19th century scholar said, walk and live, and I love this language, Remembering the importance of details of both duty and danger. Remember the details of your duties. As well as remember that there's danger. And walk accordingly. Walk, live your life accordingly. And he said the presence of God. And, and, and recognize as well that the, the presence of the will of God in everything. Everything we touch, touches. There's something of the will of God in this. What is it? We're to live thinking that way. Practically, our minds have to be focused, properly oriented. The question is, what do we set our minds on? What shapes, inspires, directs our thinking? Do we meditate on God's word, diligently inquiring of God how we are to act and what we are to choose? Do we really think about it? Not trying to figure it out. Think about it with a renewed mind. And in the process, having our minds renewed. God's guidance comes when we are most attentive to the word. Applying the principles of authority of God's word to our lives. It's for this reason that our bishop and senior pastor says, read your Bible every day, but don't just read it. Think about it. Get it inside. Meditate on it. I've been encouraging people lately, and I practice it myself, memorize a verse. Yes, yes, dare I say it, memorize a verse of Scripture. Start with something, God, you know, God is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I just memorized a verse, you know. That's fine, start with that. But get that word rolling around and shaping your thoughts. Consider this, scripture memorization, practicing gratitude, practicing being thankful. Paul refers to this a few verses later, in fact. Not as unwise, but as wise, he goes on. Walk with your eyes open, 
Expect God's light, God's wisdom to be present in your thinking and in your reflection. Regularly ask for that. I welcome the Holy Spirit. My devotional life most mornings starts with welcoming the Holy Spirit into my life. I'm so glad you live with me. Holy Spirit, come. Just be fresh, but I'm so thankful to you for being here. We just need to live in that kind of intimate, comfortable, not casual certainly, but comfortable reality and experience. Opportunities, invitations, encounters, challenges, obstacles. God, what are you doing? What's in this? Be present in the moment. Remember, we are positioning ourselves with and for the Spirit's use of us. That's what our lives are about. Making the best use of time. The picture here is redeeming the time, buying back time, buying up time for the sake of what's worthwhile and what's valuable. The favorable, uh, another great saint uh, said it this way, the favorable opportunity becomes ours at the price of duty. The favorable opportunity, the opportunity we're looking for, the opportunity we wish would come our way, the opportunity that why we would give a, 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 you know, whatever for, that opportunity comes to us at the expense of duty of being people who do what they know and they're supposed to do. Uh, Stephen Merle calls it the same. He talks about the basics of tennis, any sport you're learning. You do the same old things over and over and over again. This is what our Christian life is lived in with the expectation that opportunity is going to come to us. Recognize wasted time. And put it to better use. Begin by recognizing how you use or misuse time. And choosing something different. Don't knock it out in big chunks. Just say, you know what? I'm going to knock out 30 minutes of my normal TV time. I'm going to go to bed a little earlier. And before I do, I'm going to pull my spouse next to me. And we're going to do, hold your breath, pray together. Hard, yes. But very important. He goes on, he says, the days are evil. The book of Ephesians, a large part of it, is talking about God's purpose to reconcile people who are different together into one. The days are evil. The days we live in mitigate and work to keep that from happening every way it can. That's the evil of this time. It seeks to divide. It seeks to polarize. It seeks to stereotype. It seeks to cause people to look at one another and question, doubt, maybe even be critical. That's the evil of our time. Recognize, no, we're born of a spirit, the spirit that is working to bring it all together. The love of Christ working to bring it all together. How do we serve that? How do we think in those terms? I'm out of time. Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Keep a clear view towards being the people of God, being a person of God, being a man of God, a woman of God, living so as to demonstrate and declare the kingdom of heaven that is now present in the earth. 
That's what we are. We're ambassadors of that. We represent the reality of Christ's heavenly kingdom that secretly made an entrance into this time and space world. And it's growing. In, in the days in Vietnam, we would have called it a guerrilla movement. It's just right there, right amongst everybody else. But we're to be people who that's what we're identified with and that's what we live for. And do not get drunk, but be filled continually with the Spirit. And then he goes on for another verse or so. And he says, we're filled by the, with the Spirit by speaking truth and encouragement to one another. We're filled with the Spirit by getting around one another and getting around one another closely enough that we can actually speak meaningfully to each other. That we can actually come alongside of one another's life and meaningfully engage, meaningfully support, meaningfully pray. That's part of how we're filled with the Spirit continually. Lift up in the Lord in your hearts with song and praise together. Give thanks. I love that. This is, this is the one verse you don't like about giving thanks. Give thanks to God the Father always and for everything. Thank you, God. Our affirmation and our gratitude for who and how God is transcends, supersedes, goes beyond, is bigger than anything that we face and that, we, that comes into our life. And we tap into that with gratitude. Practicing the discipline of giving thanks. Psalm 51, offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This, folks, is what it means to not only live by the Spirit, but be, to be awake to the Spirit. And we've got to wake ourselves up. We're coming out of a place where we've been, where it's been, where we're not, where, where sleeping was a blessing. Just good to get, boy, that was another day done. Whew. That's why people were battling with depression. It was just, it, we want to move out of that and we have opportunity, but we've got to, we've got to kick some chickens. We've, lay, we've lived too long like this, hung upside down, waiting for somebody to come along. And too often as believers, we're waiting for our miracle. We're waiting for God to come along and to lift us up and to put us on our feet and to help hold our hand and to take us where we need to be. And oftentimes the Lord comes along and he sometimes with a message like this and sometimes otherwise, he just says, hey, Bill, Joan. Wires are cut. You're free. Get up now in your freedom and be and do what I've breathed in you to do and be. Come alive. Come alive. Pray with me. Lord God, I just, I pray right now that something of your spirit in this message would freshly awaken us and stir us, and Lord God, energize and empower us to be who you intend us to be, who you've made us to be, who you've equipped us to be, who you've called to yourself to become. 
God, Holy Spirit, come and do with your people. Do with us. Do in us every good thing that you have in mind. Uh, if you're here watching, watching on, on tonight or if you're in this room tonight I, and you've never, you've never encountered the life, the breath of God, that breath of God that comes into your life and, and blows away condemnation, blows away guilt, blows away the things that have, have just locked you up, maybe depressed you or, or burdened you or caused you to be bound up, and you've never asked the Christ who gives that spirit to come and be Lord in your life, now's a good time to do it. Now's the time to welcome him. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, you can see now why I started off the message tonight, say, ask, and God will give you his spirit because he's a good father who gives good things to his children when they ask him. And the Holy Spirit is what he wants to give us. So Lord God, come meet those who, who need you, Jesus. Draw them to yourself. But Holy Spirit, come. Be for us and be in us everything that you intend. And do so, Lord God, not so that we can feel better, not so that we can be better, but so that you will be glorified in the earth. Your glory is what this is about. It's for your glory and the Father's glory, Jesus, that you came, and it's for the Father's glory that you have sent the Spirit among your people, and it is for your glory, God, that we share in your life. And I pray, O oh God, may our hearts be single to seeing you glorified in all we do. Amen. Amen.